Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arnault and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories Podcast. This week, we've got part two of our team-up with BitBash, Chicago's premier indie gaming event. This episode is appropriately themed multiplayer and features stories from BitBash guru Jamie Sanchez, plus podcaster Ajani Moulton, and storytellers Brian Willey and Natasha Samreni, making her return after more than a year of exile in Florida. I mean, it's not really exile, she went there willingly, I guess. But geez, we missed her. Also, myself, Becca Brown, and special guest nerd musician, Mary Beth Smith, continue to bring you musical performances of some of our favorite duets. Oh yeah, this is good. Uh, Remember, BitBash is coming up super soon. It is in less than two weeks on Saturday, August 12th. Make sure to get your tickets now at bitbashchicago.com. It is a really sweet event. You will not regret it, and it's going to be a blast. All right, guess what? That is the only plug I have for you today. So let's get right to the show. Enjoy the heck out of this one. I think it's really good. Have fun. So we're going to do another really cool duet. This is a great song. And you might have seen some Chips Ahoy Cookies sing it at one point. (laughs) Yeah! Dang! <laughs> Esoteric references! <laughs> yeah! Oh boy, load. this thing, yeah, this thing is taken from her load. Um, how else can I vamp? Um, any plugs? There it goes. What I was gonna ask if you had any plugs. Any plugs? Oh, I'll plug at the end. I actually don't have that many, though. Are you sure more of an end plugger? <laughs> oh! Becca, please. This is, a, this is a family show. That's not true. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> oh, I actually, I actually, uh, I did, I thought of this bit earlier this morning and then I forgot I wanted to do it until you just reminded me. So, uh, yeah, this is Father's Day. Um, thank you all for coming out. Round of applause if you have like a good relationship with your dad. What do you think? You're better than me? <laughs> all right. <laughs> 
of daddies out there. <laughs> One, two, three, four. As a waitress in a cocktail bar When I met you I picked you out I shook you up and turned you around Turned you into someone new Now five years later on You've got the world at your feet Success has been so easy for you But don't forget it's me Who put you where you are now And I can put you back there too don't, don't, don't you want me? Don't you want me? You know I can't believe it when I hear that you won't see me. Don't, don't, don't you want me? Don't you want it? You know I don't believe you when you say that you don't need me. It's much too late to find when you think you change your mind. You better change it back or we will both be sorry. Don't you want me, baby? Don't you want? Don't you want me? Don't you want me? You know I can't believe it when I hear that you won't see me. Don't. Don't. Don't you want me? Don't you want me? You know I don't believe you when you say that you don't need me. It's much too late to find. When you think you change your mind, you better change it back or we will both be sorry. Don't you want me, baby? Don't you want me? Can we get a, a Mary Beth Smith up to the stage, please? So, I didn't, I don't know, I I think sometimes the dude just gotta, like, not not talk, you know? And we, I, I didn't want to sing every song. Duets are very, like, gender-coded. Like, if you notice, the man sings first on every one of these songs. It's kind of a bummer. Um, so we're gonna challenge traditional gender roles. So I'll be playing the male part. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare to have your minds blown. <laughs> All about gender bending. <laughs> oh yeah, this is like the um, kind of the most somber of the songs we played tonight. But you can still sing along if you want. I'll sing along. <laughs> I don't.
Storytellers this half. I know I said we had seven total and you already saw four. What? Somebody join? What a crazy show this is. But first, uh, before we get to that, gentlemen, we have a returning champ to your stories. It's been a little while, but this dude did a handful of shows last year, and uh, he. Uh, it's been a real treat to see his... Uh, his storytelling prowess grow, and uh, man, I just love this guy. I'm so happy he's back. Please welcome Brian Willie. All right, so uh, multiplayer. It was the summer between senior year of high school and college, 1986. Try to imagine the time. Uh, the only things on my mind were having a good time and doing the absolute minimum needed to graduate with a C average. <laughs> I had a job, a car, a girlfriend, and a large group of friends. I also had a legendary ability to buy beer due to the early gray at my temples. <laughs> and a serious, mature bearing that worked well around liquor store clerks and cops. <laughs> the point is, I was not at all interested in or concerned with my younger brother, Ed. Nor was he interested in my life at all. We hadn't really communicated in two or three years despite living in the same house, our bedrooms separated by a thin wall. Sometimes we'd notice each other in the form of conflict when a household resource was low. <laughs> Epic but brief battles were fought over the last of the toilet paper, <laughs> nearly empty milk cartons, cereal boxes with a single bowl left in them, and the Atari, Jesus. <laughs> 
Sometimes we'd borrow a vinyl record or a game from each other, but that was always in the form of taking without permission. It was guaranteed to generate a brush war that would leave my parents gnashing their teeth and asking, why couldn't we all just get along? <laughs> my brother had his own life, and it didn't affect me until it did. My friends and I were suddenly getting pulled over a lot more often. The always overly zealous Buffalo Grove Police Department seemed to be everywhere, making it difficult to buy beer. And hard to drink it outside on nice summer nights. <laughs> Just gathering in a group to talk at dusk was enough to attract a police cruiser, shining a spotlight on us, asking us pointed questions, and telling us to move along. <laughs> Something was definitely up. The wasp's nest of police had been shaken, and we were suffering the consequences. Turned out, it was my brother and his friends who had stuck their finger in the collective police eyeball. <laughs> Tired of being told to go outside where there was nothing to do, they had decided to make their own fun. And that fun consisted of making different kinds of Molotov cocktails <laughs> and lighting up streets, tennis courts, and the walls of commercial buildings. <laughs> now, a Molotov cocktail is a gasoline bomb, a poor man's grenade, named and made famous by Finland, of all places, <laughs> during their war with Soviet Russia as a way to light up Russian tanks. Ed and his friends started with a glass Christmas ornament, filling it with gasoline and sticking a cloth wick in it. The experiment was a success. <laughs> Lighting up a patch of road. They moved on to Coke and beer bottles, which they fished out of the trash, filled with gasoline, jammed a rag into, and threw after setting the rag afire. It did not really occur to them how incredibly dangerous this is. YouTube is full of videos of protesters and poorly armed combatants having Molotov cocktail mishaps, which resulted in a thrower being set ablaze with gasoline. But YouTube didn't exist in 1986, so they were on their own. Although common sense would have helped that bash. <laughs> really, it's a miracle that any of us survived to adulthood without the internet or bike helmets. <laughs> Anyhow, the Mary Band was aware of the increased police presence and wisely decided to stop throwing the gasoline bombs in their immediate neighborhoods. The last few times they'd had to run almost immediately as they could hear the PA from the fire department announcing the blaze, and the police were there with incredible speed. Now, I know that in Chicago, you can't buy gasoline unless you have a red jerry can to put it in. You can't just walk over and buy gas and put it in a freaking Tupperware container or a bottle. I'm not sure if the whole state's like that now, but it definitely was not the case when my brother and his friends were up to their arsony hijinks. So they decide to try their biggest Molotov cocktail yet, and they go over to the gas station with a glass one-gallon cider jug from Jewel. They fill it halfway up, while one of the guys loudly and repeatedly yells that, now they have gas for their go-karts. <laughs> so they, they waited until the hot summer day became a hot, humid night, and they took that gallon jug over to the rear area of a small strip mall. They jammed the cloth in it, lit it, and my brother shot-putted it as hard as he could, as it was too heavy and unwieldy to be thrown in a normal Molotov cocktail fashion. It hit the back wall of the F&M cosmetics store and exploded with the white-hot intensity of a thousand suns. The boys were taken aback by the heat and the light. The entire back lot of the strip mall was lit up clear as day, and the four of them could be clearly seen by surrounding apartments. They heard sirens immediately. They scattered and ran as fast as they could through backyards, into hedges, over gazebos, across parking lots. It was terrifying, but exhilarating. 
A massive adrenaline rush. They all got home, and none of them got caught. Too much heat now, so the boys took the rest of the summer off. I went off to college, and eventually my brother and I got to seeing each other again and talking, and he told me this story, which explained a lot. <laughs> I didn't know what to think then, and I still don't really, as I was more of a dreamer than a doer. <laughs> still kind of true. Uh, and never someone who would vandalize property or risk a fire getting out of control. Most of my illegal activities were what you'd call victimless crimes, with only myself at risk. But I can definitely understand the boredom of suburban life when you're too young to drive, there's nothing to do, you have limitless energy, and you know you're going to live forever. <laughs> Nobody got hurt, and none of the fires got out of control. And to be completely honest, we complained about the cops, but this is way before we knew just how dangerous they were. I would strongly counsel any teens listening to this podcast not to antagonize their local police, <laughs> especially if they live in a small town. But for me and my friends, avoiding them and pulling the wool over their eyes was half the fun of going out, maybe more like two-thirds of the fun. So we really weren't that put off by Ed's antics. In the end, the boys all decided to use their powers for good. Goodish. <laughs> Two joined the military, one became a cop, and the last became an engineer. <laughs> I think for them, the summer of fire was like a real-life aptitude test. <laughs> Thank you. Dang, for a second I thought there was going to be like a twist in that story where you, like, you were telling a story about your brother, but you were the one throwing the cocktails. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm pretty glad that wasn't the twist. Holy shit. What a story. All right. So I don't think that this has happened since we were... Uh, oh, is that your brother up to his answer? All right. <laughs> They heard this podcast. It's live stream. So I don't think this has happened since we were at the upstairs gallery, which is like four venues ago. But a gentleman came up to me over the break and was like, hey, if you have a spot, I'd love to tell a story. Guys, we're going to roll with it. So coming up next, this gentleman, he is a 19-year-old college student. He hosts a podcast called Library Games. And he told me to say that he is the, the black nerd. This is Johnny Moulton. <laughs> Um, just to clarify, so that my mentor doesn't be like, oh, yeah, you hosted Library Games, kid? No. Uh, I, I was part of it. Oh, I was part of it. That's my okay. Let's, uh, let's, I'm, I'm just saying, Taylor can get very... <laughs> my bad, sorry, Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, when I say I am the black nerd, like, I quote Public Enemy in, F in FPSs when I'm losing. <laughs> I mean, I, like, y'all motherfuckers are racist, simple and plain, motherfuck you and John. Like, that, like I, I shout that. In, <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, I made a team of black superheroes in Marvel Ultimate Alliance, my favorite <laughs> game. Um, yeah. So, this is, so, you know, going on the same multiplayer, I just remembered, like, spontaneously during this, and I was going to do another story, but I was inspired. When I was young, when I was 12, actually, uh, I, I loved the game Worms. Worms, for those of you who don't know, it's, the, it's, an, it's a turn-based artillery game. It's like side-scrolling, you play a bunch of worms, got a bunch of cool weapons, like freaking super sheet. And craft and just blow up, and it's like it's splendiferous. All right, it, it's, it's absolutely fantastic, and it's also great when you're poor and you have a really crappy computer, and like that's all you can play. 
and, 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 and I had game tap, so it was like, there's nothing but worms this, worms that. But unfortunately, my game tap subscription ran out, and uh, Team 17, the, de- the developer of worms, you know, sold the game online. And the one I truly wanted, Worms Armageddon, was in a $20 bundle. Now, to use a word, uh, niggas was broke. But, uh, <laughs> you know, being 12 and having parents who, you know, were practical, instead, um, I was going to fill that need for that genre any way possible. So I downloaded a bootleg version, although they would, you know, prefer the term open source clone. <laughs> Called Wormups. It's <laughs> like, you know, towing on the line right there, right? <laughs> but, uh, called Wormux and the chat slash IP address client called Hamachi. Now, I've been familiar with, you know, multiplayer games before. You know, I was part of CDA Heroes, like, before it died and people started, like, missing it and stuff. Um, and I had also, you know, I, I, I mean, I been on Halo before, but, you know, considering the amount of racial expletives, I was like, eh, not really for me. Um, And, uh, but this was my first real close relationship. And my first real connection was a German dude named Hans, which is, I mean, I think that was just his name, like, on there, but it was also very stereotypical. I don't know if I was comfortable with it. But, uh, I mean... It, it's okay, though, because Hans would screw my crap up every single time. Like, I don't know if this dude was just a logical genius. He could also just be, like, 30 playing this for, like, years upon years, and I was 12 just playing it. But, you know, either one. And, uh, you know, the thing about Hans, Hans hated Big Brother. Not, not the 1984, you know, Big Brother. Not this conceptual, you know, like, Capitalist state, Big Brother. Literally, the show Big Brother. <laughs> so every single time, every single time, me and Hans played, and I was just a twelve-year-old. You know, I, I told him, and this all started because I told him, I really, I, I think it was like the real world or something. I really just feel like real world is bad. It's like, I, I, I can't do it, German accent. But you think you just like you think real world is bad? You should look up Big Brother. I did. It's horrible. But um, I mean, I mean, the thing about Big Brother, this man, every single time we played, and we probably played once a week for half a year. Every time we played, this man would have another rant about Big Brother. Like, like Courtney, I, I didn't like how Courtney felt this year. Like, and I, I, I just thought that Courtney was being a this time, you know, like, I just, and me being 12 and having a limited attention span, I, I later found out that he thought that I was 18, so you don't pick up to me, right? But I was like, no, you're ranting about a reality show in Germany to a 12-year-old in America. It was awkward. And, uh, but Hans being my first real-world connection, you know, I was a nerd in high school. I did not have the svelte body you see. <laughs> um, I was, you know, I was pudgy. I enjoyed Little Caesars before Little Caesars had the $5. <laughs> so I just, I, 
I was so enthused to have a friend, even if he did just talk to me about Big Brother. So even though it was awkward, I'll always remember Hans for that and for the, you know, for the time that he spent with me and for the time that I donated him to talk about, you know, his weird... It, it's really weird when somebody says they hate something, but they somehow manage to watch it. <laughs> like, and, and no characters and no, like, situations and critically think about it. But um, that's, uh, that's it, everybody. Thank you. Johnny, as we all know, the creator and mastermind of the Library Games podcast. Check it, check it. Johnny, what was your what was your team in Ultimate Alliance? Uh, obviously, uh, Luke Cage, Black Panther, Storm, and it's bad that I can't think of a fourth you know black what? character. You know what? The, ah, Luke Cage, Storm, uh, you know what? I think I just put Spider Man on there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, his name Spider Man Black. There's a black. Yeah, Spider-Man. it, it could be Miles Morales. I was before my. Yeah. <laughs> Luke Cage was also always on my team. He was the bruiser. That dude is awesome. Dude, Luke Cage. I, I love Luke Cage. Hell yeah. <laughs> Mike Coulter in the Netflix show. Also super great. Guys, we have two more storytellers tonight. This next person coming up, I'm very excited about. She told me not to say anything nice about her when I introduced her. Guess what? Tough shit. I'm gonna. Uh, in 2014, this lady did like all of our shows, and then she moved to Florida. What the fuck? But, but... She's back in Chicago for a week. This is her first night back. She decided to do this show because she's great. Uh, she catalogs people's family histories for a living. So if you want to know about your family history, you want to record it. Go talk to this lady. Or if you have a better relationship with your dad, don't talk to her. That's cool. Either way, please welcome Natasha Sam Rainey. Every fucking time. <laughs> Tough shit. <laughs> Tough shit. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And during the break, you're like, everything you say is so nice. It is. Well, because like everything oh, Eric shit. says, like no matter what he says, it's with a smile. So you're like, did you just insult me? <laughs> Should I be crying or smiling? <laughs> like, never know. I never know. I love going this late in the show because I just had an Irish whiskey and everyone's really funny. So everything's super giggly. <laughs> Oh my god, Mary Beth, don't laugh. <laughs> no, please laugh. I know! Okay, it's so warm. <laughs> Did you just piss yourself? <laughs> please say yes, because I think I might. Okay, just kidding. Um, so, I, I, don't, I don't like play video games a lot, so I always like try and be like, multiplayer, what does that mean in life? Not always, but for this instance. <laughs> already um uh but so multiplayer in life that's my theme hey okay so i'm just gonna do this um so i don't remember exactly how it happened anymore i feel like memory is a funny thing but for this story that might sort of be ironic i remember my grandma sitting uncomfortably in her lazy boy her head in her hands sobbing i just took it way down right sorry (laughs) she was weeping but it was the most unweeping of sounds It wasn't heavy, it wasn't deep, but undeniably real and sad. Like her vocal cords had wound up for a long, hard, slow pitch down the center, but at the last minute, the pitcher's inner eye caught a memory glimpse of some of yesterday's heartbreak and tripped it into a curveball. 
Grandma was delicate. She was like a breaking doll with thinning hair, folded over her favorite chair. Grandma. We'd heard her calls from a different area of the house almost simultaneously, me, my mom, and my dad, and we hurried in as fast as the furniture traffic through the hallway would allow. There she was, on her chair. Help! Help! Grandma, what happened? A lifetime of cigarettes had grated her once operatic soprano vocal cords into the voice of a hungry peep, of an urgent baby bird. I was at my parents' in their three-story mansion to me. (laughs) We'd all gotten used to picking out her voice amid the chores and TV sounds of the day. She was mostly aware, but dementia and failing health was slowly taking over. Grandma, what happened? More tears than answer. And then a small trail of human shit? Hmm... I know, on the hardwood floor. Her organs were failing. We went to work. This was automation. Compassionate mechanics. Less asking, more doing, because how did this happen was not helpful. Not to grandma, not to us. No one had an answer. She didn't know. So when I was a kid, we moved a lot. We were military brats. I loved it. By the time I was 12, we had been to like 20 countries. People usually ask me, what was your favorite place? You know, like... If you could pick, like, what was the best one? I can't pick. Uh I know that sounds totally cliche, but I can't. Because my parents made every place, like, a wonderland. Ask questions, talk to people, taste the food, play with the other kids. Those were our rules. That was it. One of my favorite Panama memories is running down the black volcanic beaches with my three sisters. Okay, so if this makes sense, we were all negatives of ourselves. Brown body, sun-bleached hair. My dad parked the 80s van near this, uh, close to the nearest Bohio. It's like a little straw hut on the beach. And we all helped carry coolers of ice water, cheese, uh, five pounds of mangoes we bought for a dollar from some man on the street. It was the 80s in Central America. Everything was a dollar. <laughs> Four little girls in bathing suits and tans down the row. My mom tied up our hair or took it down. However, we had to have it at that moment, mom. <laughs> Bangs, ponytails, barrettes, braids, pieces of girlhood floated around the car like AWOL Cheetos, batteries, and Barbie shoes all over the floor. Hair up, towels off, but plenty of neon zinc. You guys remember zinc? Yeah. (laughs) And our brown little bikini bellies. We look like a bunch of Care Bear vigilantes. (laughs) Like for reals. All lined up in front of our rebel commandant for gear reassignment. Water wings? Check. Frisbee? Check. Baby diaper that's going to fall off in the water anyways? (laughs) But at least with no preceding poop stains? Double, triple, quadruple check. Everybody had a job. We threw off our cover-ups and launched our flip-flops as far as our little cabbage patch arms could throw. And then, with our sun-widened eyes squinting over our fluorescent noses, we stared down the fastest route through the black, angry volcano sand to the water. This was midday at the equator. That bitch was hot. (laughs) We had to to sprint. (laughs) Ready? Set? Go! Our parents launched us into action, running, wheeling, tumbling, tripping, losing all in any of the toys we totally had to have for this beach trip. (laughs) Beach Barbie can swim, right, Mom? 
Ninja Turtles can float. <laughs> they were everywhere. The sea was ours, and we were it, ripping the extras and plastic away from our naive little bodies, shredding raw, at this point practically naked and free, for the next two hours in the ocean. Time was so cryptic in a child's mind. You didn't understand things in minutes or hours, days or years. All we knew was that we were. It was a different war against time that we were fighting. I remember the first time that I actually recognized exhaustion in my parents' eyes. My grandma's 90-year-old body was on the decline. And I didn't think it was fair that they were never actually going to retire from taking care of somebody. My dad was on his hands and knees, cleaning up the shit from her floor while I bathed my grandma in the shower. My grandma was always against taking a shower, and she would yell at you and fight you, and by the end of the shower, she would hold your face in your hands and say, you are my favorite person. <laughs> she had already forgotten how much she didn't want that. <laughs> Her temperament rode the roller coaster of confusion, chronic, darkening, white spider web, dementia. Some days were lighter than others, but most were darker by the end. My mom washed the towels in the laundry room next door. Empty nesters, they were full-time caretakers 20 years in. This second childhood reminded us eerily of the cloth diapers my mom used to shake out with four little girls when we were still babies. But now they needed help. They were entering retirement in their 60s. My mom's new blood pressure machine watched permanently by the kitchen table. Lipitor migraines and cracking knees were awaking from decades of military air jumps, battlefield runs, and unapologetic ground training. It was my turn to anticipate missing them. When did my dad's gray sideburns go postal? <laughs> Daily dinner table conversations huddled around doctor's visits, which daughter was definitely not stable enough to take over if one of us were to go into a coma. <laughs> Wills, when that day comes, their humor was getting darker. And I found myself arguing, oh my God, Dad, how could you want my little sister to wipe your ass more than me? When did she become your favorite daughter? <laughs> I never thought I would fight for that. You know? <laughs> Parents aren't supposed to bury their kids, but how come we're supposed to be okay with the alternative? The author Michael Cunningham of The Hours wrote, this is what we do. This is what people do. We stay alive for each other. I guess that just has to be enough for now. With all of our moves, all of our changes, the unanswered questions, my parents found a way to answer us and life the best way they knew how. With integrity, strength, but mostly with honesty and a strong sense of humor. My mom finished mopping the bedroom floor. The towels were drying, and Grandma was lying tucked in her bed with something mellow on TV, probably Jerry Springer or BET. <laughs> her favorites. <laughs> Where the hell is that smell coming from, my mom asked my dad. Tasha, did you change her diaper? Yeah. Diaper? Check. Nightgown? Check. 
Fingernails? Shit. Literally shit. You remember when you were a kid and you'd take a shower or get ready for bed and your mom would make you like clean your whole face and don't forget your ears behind your ears? Apparently fingernails are the new ears. <laughs> there is no protocol for what to do when you find tiny bits of fecal relic tucked into the every spaces of a fading 92-year-old woman's nail beds. My dad's face transformed into some version of Edward Hyde. <laughs> protocol the only way I can describe it is what they did when 20 years earlier they found my baby sister in her crib covered in Vaseline that she had gotten a hold of. <laughs> in her hair, on the walls, up her nose, and in spaces they never knew existed. They stopped, took a breath, shook their heads and started cleaning. That's it. Thanks, guys. If you like Natasha, and I hope that you did, uh, she produces a show in Chicago still, even though she's in Florida, called All of the Fields. It's this Tuesday at North Bar at 8 p.m., and it is an all-Latino lineup this time? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So uh, check that out Tuesday, everybody. All right, we have one more storyteller. This is going to be no surprise. Uh, she is the, the creator, the guru of Bitbash, which is the reason we're all here tonight. Uh, I'm very excited to welcome to the stage, Jamie Sanchez! This is another one of those cases where I can't take all the credit for Bitbash. It was, uh, I'll get into it a little bit with my my talk here, but um, it is me and many others. Um, so, before there was a Bitbash, there was an email chain. And before there was an email chain, there was the 2014 Game Developers Conference, or GDC, as Bryce had mentioned in his talk earlier. Uh, that particular year, indie devs, Chicago's indie devs, were fluttering around the whole of San Francisco, kind of walking back and forth, and just seeing all the cool stuff and taking it in. For uh, several years, they had been doing the same, but finally had been wondering about all the cool shit that was happening in indie game dev communities around the world, and how come none of that actually was happening in Chicago. We spoke incessantly of hosting an annual event during this trip. Somewhere in Chicago, something. Events that can't be that hard, right? Like, 100 people, 10 games, one afternoon. We can handle that. We networked with other event planners during this convention. We attended panels about community organization, hearing how other well-established indies had, in other cities, combined their limited budgets and local communities into successful meetups or other amazing conferences, or sustainable co-working spaces. We partied at a two-story bar where lives like a warehouse party. It was really awesome. It's called Wild Rumpus, again, as Bryce had mentioned earlier. Just covered in video games and live music and just generally great people, all of them indie devs. Clearly 300 people, 15 games, in one evening was achievable. <laughs> <laughs> 
Weeks passed after GDC. We had no concept of what the event was, who would take lead, or how to raise a single dime to actually host this thing. But we knew we had to happen. it had to happen before the summer's end. In six months, we were inviting people into a room with some rad games, and they were going to fucking like it. <laughs> if it was underwhelming, we would just give them beer. This is rule number one of event planning, is you gotta have beer. A few weeks later, we landed on this kind of gallery festival hybrid concept with projected games, DJ, and free beer. That's how we got people to actually come to the first Bit Bash. Um, so 800 people, 30 games, one day, totally doable. The summer leading up to Bit Bash was a blur and new challenges were rising every week. I learned many things. Ticket pricing, email marketing, projector specifications, design contests, how to run one of those, city permits, who knew you needed them? <laughs> None of us had pulled off something at this scale before. But we somehow collectively brainwashed each other into fumbling our way through it. Break things and ask for permission later, right? Like, that's how that goes? <laughs> the ramp up to Bitbash had gotten e has gotten easier each passing year. But that first year was such a hot mess. In less than 24 hours, a thousand people and 30 games would cram into Threadless's warehouse for an all-day party. There was also the 5% chance the city might shut us down. <laughs> my nerves were shot, and there was the occasional taste of bile in my mouth, but the adrenaline rush kept me afloat. I think it saved us all, really. Before the doors open and people start playing games, I get into this weird dream state. This is every bit bash, where we're all rushing around to prep everything in time, and I barely register anything beyond the task at hand. Forget the line wrapping around the block. Ignore the friends constantly coming up saying hello. Got to figure out how the speaker system works. Got to make the station work. Got to get the paperwork ready. This event is happening regardless of the millions of little flaws I see, the tiny little negative voice in my head, and the asshats who make video game culture sometimes unbearable. <laughs> As my mom says with every meal, put extra love into it. Nothing beats the high of the one-hour mark when nothing is on fire and volunteers have the energy to keep the event going. Nothing beats our tiny ritual of celebratory whiskey at the three-hour mark. <laughs> nothing beats the joy of a kid who's discovering a non-AAA game for the first time. Nothing fills my heart quicker than seeing the love on our Twitter feed. Many from women and people of color and queer folk who finally have genuinely connected with a video game community that they can call their own. I've grown a lot since that initial email chain. I've learned about the strange high I get from planning stressful community events. <laughs> I've learned to offset the stress and push through the uncertainty. And best, I've learned that BitBash organizers and volunteers really do put the extra love into it. Thank you. Let's give it up for BitBash. Now, Jamie, when is BitBash this year? August 12th. You guys are uh, you're going to know um, this song. Mary Beth is going to be our, our crowd stand-in, but please, this is, again, a very gendered song, although we're swapping it. Please sing the parts that make you feel most comfortable. We would love your help on this. <laughs> Summer loving had me a blast 
Summer loving happened so fast. I met a girl crazy for me. I met a boy cute as can be. Summer days drifted away to other summer nights. Oh, well, oh, well, oh, well. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome! Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.